Uh, Would you take your seats and pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time that we have to come and worship you together as a church family. We thank you for this time that we have to study your word, and we thank you that you have revealed yourself and your truth to us through Scripture. We pray as we come here and we study this passage today that you would just make it known in our hearts who you are and the love you have for us. Would you make it known to us who we are and the mission that you have given us? And would you show us your love today? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is going to surprise probably no one here, but I need a lot of reminders to do things that I've agreed to do. I am somebody who tends to live life in routine, and anything outside of my routine is actually very difficult for me for some reason to remember, and so I need to set a lot of reminders, or I will miss a meeting, or show up late to something. I mean, of all the students we interviewed this summer for the summer position, I think all of them would tell you I was at least 10 minutes late to their interviews, which allowed for Joseph to go in and interrogate them without me knowing, Um, so I'm surprised we got as many as we did, Um, but I'm not good at remembering things. I'm not, and I think I come by it honestly. This past week, I went to a Jays game with my family. My um, mom's sister from BC flew into town, and a bunch of us went to a Jays game, and my mom's other sister lives in Hamilton, right near our house, and we all went to Toronto. My aunt grew up in Toronto. We were going to the Jays game, which is in the Sky Dome, which is right underneath the CN Tower, so you think it'd be easy to find. Uh, But as we're walking, we come to a red light, and everyone stops, except for my Aunt Gail, who some of you actually know, and my Aunt Gail turns down a street and just keeps walking while none of us notice, and before we're about to cross, I look around, and I see my aunt just going the wrong way (laughs) in a city she grew up in looking for the tallest tower in the country going the wrong way because she got distracted looking at buildings. We as people get distracted easily. It's hard for us to remember things. In fact, this is something I think C.S. Lewis uh, captures quite well in uh, The Silver Chair, the the book from the Chronicles of Narnia. When Jill and Eustace are going to be blown into Narnia, Aslan gives Jill a task. He gives her four signs to remember, and this is what he says to her. Remember, remember, remember the signs. Say them to yourself when you wake in the morning and when you lay down at night and when you wake in the middle of the night. And whatever strange things may happen to you, let nothing turn your mind from following the signs. Remember, remember, remember. Recite them to yourselves. And I think as Christians, we need to know that we need to do that too. That just like people forget things day to day, Just like Jill forgets the signs because she doesn't do what Aslan asked her to, we as Christians need to remind ourselves why we are here worshiping God, why we are following God in obedience in our daily lives, why we do what we do. This is why we preach the gospel every week here, to remind ourselves of who we are following and love that he has for us, and so that other people can become a part of that. And so we preach the gospel to ourselves over and over and over again. 
But another thing that we need to do as Christians is to remind ourselves what we're doing, how we're living out the calling that Jesus has given us, and why we're doing it. And so every year at this church, we have our Vision Sundays, where we as a group come together and remind ourselves what we are doing as a church family that's been placed here in the north end of Hamilton. We remind ourselves who we're serving, what we're doing, and why. And so we have on our website, we have our mission statement, which you can see and read along with me here, where we say, as a church anchored in the north end of Hamilton, we exist to join God as his spirit builds Christ's kingdom in our lives, neighborhoods, and city. And we need to remind ourselves of that mission statement. Mind ourselves of why God has called us here as a church family in this location. And then we have our vision uh, statements which I think I forgot to put one of them here. So uh, if there's an elder who wants to pipe up at some point. But if we go to the next one, we have spirit-filled fellowship. We long for every person to experience a deepening fellowship with God as Father, Son, and Spirit, and with each other. Another one that we have is spirit-dependent salvation. We want to free people to live incarnationally with those God has placed in their lives, on their hearts, while continuing to offer ministries and programs that will reach those living in the north end. And then, I'm going to cheat. I have a smartphone. And I'm going to read you the one I forgot to put up here. Don't tell Dwayne about this later. <laughs> Does anybody know it off by heart? Sanctification. Do you know the rest of it, though? Yeah, okay, David. Spirit-reliant sanctification, we long to grow in our Christ-likeness as we rely on the Spirit who desires to sanctify us. That's who we are as a church. That's what we believe God has called us to, and that's what we need to remind ourselves of, and that's what we're doing these two weeks that we're gathering here. And the last thing I want to go through is our core values, which you can find more in depth on our website as well. But we believe we're called to celebrate, to grow, to serve, to share, and to care. And so if we're going to follow God here in the north end of Hamilton, in this church family, and in the situations that we all live in day to day, whether at home or at work or at school, we need to remind ourselves of what we're doing, who we're serving, and the love that he has for us so that we don't forget. And today we're going to focus on those last two, share and care. We are called to share Share the gospel with those who don't know it. Share about God with people who don't have a relationship with him. And care for those who are hurting. That's what we do as Christians seeking to follow God here in Hamilton. And I want to go to Daniel chapter 2 to look at this and how this can play out in our lives. And so you might ask, why Daniel? Why would we go to the book of Daniel? And I actually think it's a great place to go when it comes to thinking about how we share and care in our community see, Daniel was one of the people that was brought out of Jerusalem in the Babylonian exile and brought to Babylon. When the Babylonians came in and conquered Jerusalem, they conquered Judah, they took the, the leaders, the young, healthy, bright individuals who had a big future in Jerusalem, they took them out of Judah and brought them to their own capital in Babylon. And Daniel is one of those men. Daniel was somebody who follows God, was worshiping God, and has found himself in a society 
that has nothing to do with the Lord. He has found himself in a culture that is incredibly individualistic. He's found himself in a society of people who need to hear the gospel. He's found himself in a world where people need to be cared for the way that God cares for them because their king is not doing it himself and people who he needs to share the gospel with because they don't know the Lord. And so I think Daniel is a great place to go when it comes to how do we live out our faith? How do we share the gospel with people in a culture that is so far from God? How do we care for people who are in such need? Going to the Babylonian exile, going to the book of Daniel is a great place to learn. And in Daniel chapter 2, we're going to read about the famous dream that King Nebuchadnezzar has. So if you would turn with me to Daniel Daniel chapter 2, we're going to start off with verses 1 to 3. And here, as we read through these verses, what we're going to see is Nebuchadnezzar is desperate for some truth here at this moment in his life. So Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, oh, that's chapter 1. Somebody should have said that. Sorry, chapter 2. This is why you need your Bibles here, people. All right, chapter 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. And so here we find King Nebuchadnezzar. He's had a dream, and he's desperate to find out what it means because it's, it's killing him inside. He knows that this isn't just a regular dream, that there is some kind of meaning, something important to know here. He knows it's speaking to him about something. And it's made him full of angst as he worries about what the meaning could be. He's here trying to find answers from whoever he can. Now, it's important for us to know who King Nebuchadnezzar is. So, that is a carving of King Nebuchadnezzar. And you can tell by the way that his beard looks, the way that his hair looks, what he's wearing, he was a big deal. King Nebuchadnezzar was known as one of the greatest military kings in the history of the ancient Near East. He reigned for over 40 years. This was a powerful man. This was a man who conquered most of the known world. He was the leader of the superpower country of his day. He was the most important man when he was alive. He was the wealthiest, strongest, most powerful person living at that time. In fact, to get an idea of how Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar were viewed, I have a picture here of a map. This is a map that they drew on a a clay tablet. It's a map of what they viewed as the whole world. And guess what city is in the middle of it? Guess what city is the center of the world when King Nebuchadnezzar was around? Babylon. His city. And this wasn't something that just the Babylonians believed. This is something that everyone around them believed that Babylon was the center of the world. They were the most powerful city, the most significant city. They were the city that everyone feared. And they went around taking more and more territory and forcing people to follow their ways and to accept their culture. 
And he was a, a magnificent, splendid king. Here you have the gates of Ishtar, the gates that go into the city of Babylon. And it might be hard to see up there, but those are blue stones covered in golden animals. And that's just the entrance into this magnificent city. Nebuchadnezzar had more than anybody would ever know what to do with at the time he was alive. And here, we find him in a panic looking for truth because he's starting to realize that what he has isn't enough. What he has isn't keeping him safe. He's starting to worry about this dream that he's had because he's realizing that building his entire existence on himself isn't as secure as he thought it would be, no matter what he had, no matter how much resources he had or how many people followed him. He was desperate, looking for answers for truth, looking for value, looking for meaning, not just for right now, but for the future. What's going to happen next? How do I know I'm secure? He's looking for significance and meaning and value, so he has all of these questions that he's desperate to find answers for. And as we read this passage, I think we need to know that there are a lot of people here today in the same position as him, not in terms of wealth and status, but looking for those answers. People who have built their foundations of their lives on themselves or their careers or their families or their relationships or their status. And as they continue to live life are realizing this isn't as secure as I thought it was. This isn't giving me the hope and the comfort that I dreamt it would. There are people all around us every day looking for answers as to why they are here, what their purpose is on this place. Why does the world seem so broken? All around us, there are people desperate, looking for truth. And as Christians, we're called to share and care for those people. Because, as we continue here, they're not finding answers anywhere else they're looking. Starting in verse 4, then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Seems reasonable to me. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You've conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or an enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult no one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. 
you see how desperate he actually is here. He's had a dream. It's disturbing him. He wants to know what it's about. He wants to know what's in store for him in his future. And so he goes to the only place he can think of. He gathers all the wise men in Babylon, all the sorcerers and magicians and necromancers, everybody who's been able to answer his questions before. He gathers them to himself. He, he invites them to him to in, interpret his dream. And if they're able to, he will reward them more than they could ever dream of. But if nobody's able to tell him what his dream is and interpret it, he's going to kill them all. He's going to crush their homes. I don't think he's going to be nice to their families when he does it either. I think that's the message that he's sending there. He's asking them to do something nobody has ever done. Interpret a dream that they've never heard. Interpret a dream that they haven't had. Now, the, the wise men in Babylon were actually known for being able to interpret dreams. They had dream manuals that they made up. These huge, thick books that they had where somebody would tell them a dream and they would look up what happened in that dream and see what it means. They were known for being able, to, being able to interpret dreams. And those books got so large because you had to be able to account for anything that can happen in a dream. And I don't know about you, but I've had some pretty crazy dreams. I remember one time as a kid, I had a dream about the big boss from Space Jam, the alien guy, being a massive giant that attacked my school. And I don't know if there's anything in there about that dream manual about my dream, but to be able to cover anything anybody could ever dream of is an incredible task. But they were known for being able to do this. The catch here is the king is so desperate for a real answer, he doesn't want them to be able to trick him. He doesn't want them to just make him happy and placate him. He doesn't want them to just be yes men who tell him some great thing based on his dream. He says, I want to know the answers, but I want to make sure the answers are true. And so I'm going to test you. I'm going to ask you to interpret a dream that you've never heard. This is something Joseph wasn't even asked to do. Nobody has done this. But he says, the only way I will know the answers that are coming to you are real, significant, from the gods themselves, is if you can interpret this dream without me telling you what it is. And they can't. And so he decides he's going to kill not just the wise men there, but all of the wise men in Babylon. Because he's so desperate for an answer. He went to the only place he could look and he came up empty. And it's crushing him even more inside. And how many of us know people who have gone through that similar experience? Desperate for answers on how they should live. Desperate for answers of meaning. Desperate for answers of what's next, what's in my future, what is this world all about? And they're looking for those answers in all of these different places and every time they come up empty. And they're broken and beaten down. Where have you looked in your past for answers? Maybe you're looking for a way to feel content. Maybe you're looking for a way to feel value. You're looking for a purpose and you keep searching in these other places and every time you look somewhere, you come up empty. Well, that's because as Nebuchadnezzar learns, there are no good answers in the world. 
He went to the smartest, brightest people in the world at the time, and they could not help him. And so he lashes out. He makes a decree that all of the wise men in Babylon are going to be killed, which has significant impacts for Daniel. Reading from verse 13 to to verse 28 here. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. They're not even there, but they're being executed. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for, the mercy, for mercy from, uh, from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God, of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. I'm going to pause there for a second, and I just want to point out, notice this about Daniel, and if you read through the book of Daniel, you'll see this over and over and over again. Daniel is a man of prayer. Every situation that comes up, Daniel prays. Praise to the Lord for wisdom. He prays, prays to the, ward, the Lord for strength. He prays to the Lord for uh, his love to be known. And here, Daniel and his friends get together as they hear this decree, as they hear what the king is going through, as they hear what the king is going to do, they gather and they pray. That's how they face the circumstances that are ahead of them. And what a reminder for us as we're seeking to share and to care for people that that starts with us gathering together to pray, to pray for God for wisdom, to pray to God for him to reveal people in our lives that we can share with and care for, to pray that God would make himself known to the people around us who don't know him. We need to be in prayer for these things constantly, all of the time. And we're going to have some time to do that later, but it's something that we need to continue to do as we leave, leave this place today. Continue to pray that God would reveal people in your lives who you can share the gospel with and show you how to care for the people around you. It continues, though. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to them, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But... 
There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown the king Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. So Daniel is about to reveal the dream to the king. But notice, Daniel's very clear in saying, I am not a wise man who can interpret your dream for you. Daniel's very clear in saying, if you're looking for your answers about the future, about what's going to happen to you, about the meaning of this world and your place in it, and you're looking for answers in this world, you're not going to find any. There is no enchanter, sorcerer, wise man who can do that for you. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. See, Daniel's saying to King Nebuchadnezzar, you're looking in the wrong places for your answers, my friend. You've been looking for answers wherever you could think of, and the only place you needed to go is the Lord. He is the one who gave you the answers that your soul is longing to have. He is the one who can answer the questions that are crying out from inside you as you look ahead to the future. There is a God in heaven when Nebuchadnezzar has no hope for his answers to be found, when he has no hope on his future and what's going to happen to him, Daniel says, but there is a God in heaven. There is a God who can reveal the answers to us. There is truth. You're looking for, for explanations as to the brokenness that you see in your dream. You're looking for explanations to what's going to happen to you. There is truth. There is an answer, and that answer is in God. That's what you need to know, King Nebuchadnezzar. There is a God who is loving and strong enough for you to turn to. And that is the same answer we need to be willing to give the people around us who are broken and hurting, who are searching for meaning, who are searching for the meaning of life. One of my favorite books is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and there's also a, a movie that is actually pretty funny that I like about it too. And the whole premise of that book is that there is this group of people searching for the answer to the meaning of life, right? What is the answer to the question of the meaning of life and everything in it? And they search the whole galaxy, place to place, looking for this answer. And then finally, they get to the great supercomputer that controls the whole galaxy, and they get the answer. The answer to the meaning of life and everything in it, it's 42. <laughs> Not a satisfying answer. And I think what we need to learn is that if people are looking for an answer, it's not as easy as just search the whole galaxy and then see what you come up with, and there you go, you'll be satisfied. As people are looking for these answers to why the world is the way it is, why are they here? Why do they feel the way they do? Why is there that emptiness, that missing thing inside of them? The answer is, you need to turn to the Lord. Not something in the galaxy. You need to turn to the Lord, the one who created the galaxies. The one you were created to worship. The one who's going to restore everything. There is truth, there is an answer, and it is the Lord. And so Daniel then tells the king his dream and interprets it for him and for us. Here we go, starting in verse 29. 
As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mystery showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with the clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed in baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold pieces. I'm going to pause there. Nebuchadnezzar has a, a dream of a statue, which I think you actually have to go back one slide. Yes, thank you. And that statue has a head of gold, the arms and, and torso and chest of silver, and then bronze, and then iron legs with iron and clay feet. This dream has been something that scholars have sought to figure out time and time again, and, and most scholars have come to the same conclusion now. So each part of this statue represents a different kingdom, the first one being Babylon, the gold one, this great, mighty kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar is the ruler over. But his kingdom is not going to last forever. There's going to be one that comes after it. And it's silver, not gold. It's not as great as Nebuchadnezzar's, but it's still going to replace it. And then after that, another kingdom is going to come. And after that, a strong one. And this is what most scholars would say. Babylon is the gold head. 
Then the silver is the, the Mede and Persian Empire, the Persians who come over and take over after Babylon. That does happen. And then the Greeks, next. Alexander the Great conquers the known world. And he's the third kingdom. And then the fourth kingdom is Rome. Rome, who is known for their, you will have peace whether you like it or not. Rome, who is that strong empire who rules by might and power. Rome is that fourth kingdom. But then a stone comes, not made out of human hands. A stone from, from outside of the world, outside of those kingdoms comes. And during that fourth kingdom, during that reign of Rome, crushes all of those other kingdoms. And not just crushes them, annihilates them. Those kingdoms get Thanos out of here, right? Crumble into uh, dust and then blown out of here. There's nothing that remains of them. But that rock grows. It grows and it grows. That rock is eternal. That rock is the true power. That rock is the real kingdom. And as we look at that and as we notice that, it is during the kingdom of Rome that the great stone the builders rejected the great stone that provided for his people in the Exodus, it's during the Roman Empire that Jesus Christ comes. And the kingdom is announced and begins. That's the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. What Nebuchadnezzar needs to realize is everything that he has put his effort, his identity in, this is a man who began his inaugural speech by saying, O Marduk, let my kingdom last forever. This is a man, this is why he's troubled, who's just found out everything he's ever cared about is going to come to an end. That there will be no lasting legacy. Those gates of Babylon are gone. One of the things that Babylon has been known for for the longest time, the gardens of Babylon, most people think aren't even Babylonian anymore. They're from Nineveh. That kingdom is gone. It's over. There's nothing left of it. But the kingdom of God is eternal. You see, Michael, uh, Mitchell L. Chase has a line in his commentary. He says, the metals were all vulnerable, but the stone was invincible. Joyce G. Baldwin says, great as he is, Nebuchadnezzar is finite and will not live forever. The kingdom that the, the emperor had turned to, everything he built, all the answers he, were, he was looking for, everything he thought gave him value, finite, nothing, in the end, meaningless. But Daniel says, but there's a king in heaven who's bringing his kingdom, which will restore all of the brokenness in the world, which will restore all of the pain that is in this world, which will restore the relationship that God's creatures are to have with him. There's a kingdom in heaven that is coming that will reign for all of eternity, that when you're a part of that kingdom, you will live the life you were meant to live. You will find the value and the meaning and the purpose that you're meant to have because you will be with your Lord. You will be with your true king. You will be with God. And Jesus came to make it happen. 
Jesus came and went to the cross to bring in that kingdom so that you and I, who don't deserve to be in that kingdom, could be made righteous by the blood of Christ. If we follow him and believe in him and confess our sins, we could enter into that kingdom because of what Christ has done for us, because of his love for us. There is a God who is strong enough and loving enough to give us the kingdom that we're looking for, to give us the meaning that we're looking for, to give us the answers that we are so desperate for. That's the message that God gave to Daniel to deliver to King Nebuchadnezzar. And it's the same message that Jesus brings when he begins his ministry. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Daniel makes known that the kingdom of God is coming, that it is eternal, and it is the kingdom that we were meant to live in. As we're seeking answers and coming up empty, as we're seeking answers in the world around us and just finding pain because nothing we turn to works, everything we try comes to an end at some point, Daniel says there is a kingdom coming. There is a God in heaven who loves you, who sent his son for you, who created you, who's restoring the world to the way it's meant to be. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar responds with. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor in order that an offering and incense be presented to him the king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Now, by no means is Nebuchadnezzar saved here, but he begins to notice God because Daniel shared that message that God had given him. Because Daniel cared for the other people who were going to be executed, for himself and his friends, and for the king to come and share that message. Daniel knew that the only kingdom worth living for is that eternal kingdom, that stone that came and grows and grows and grows. And we need to live in light of that kingdom too. And so we are called to share that good news with the people around us so that they can see the Lord and the love that he has for them. And we are to care for the people around us who are hurting so they can experience the love that the great king has for them. And we need to spend time praying who we're sharing the gospel with, who we're caring for, and how God intends for us to do it. Because sharing the gospel is going to change lives forever. I, like Claude, did not grow up in a house that went to church. I, like Claude, ended up going to a youth group, brought out to help out at a camp. And there, like Claude, I was told the gospel. Somebody shared the gospel with me and it changed my life. I would not be here today if my friends at that youth group and those leaders that I had did not share the gospel with me. I didn't know that I was looking for more meaning and more value. I thought I was perfectly content doing what I was doing in life. But they shared the gospel with me and I saw the truer purpose of life. That God loves me and wants me and I had to turn and repent and come back to him. And I'm incredibly thankful for those friends and those leaders that I've had. And we need to care for people 
so that they can see the love of God. As I was going through this passage this week and thinking about sharing and caring, the one thought that came over to me, uh, came to me over and over again was actually about my dad, who in this case reminds me a little bit about Nebuchadnezzar, not the king stuff, but my dad is somebody who does not know the Lord. And I can say, when Fiona and I lost our child, I feel like Dwayne. When we lost our child, my dad noticed the way the church cared for us. He hasn't accepted the Lord at this point. He's not saved. But he's seen the Lord more clearly through the way people cared for us. And so as we care for people, know that we're caring for people's needs, we're showing them the Lord and the love that he has for them. And we're fulfilling the calling and the meaning of life that we've been saved for. And so we're going to spend some time, we're going to worship together here. And then we're going to spend some time in prayer, asking God to show us these things. How can we share? Who are we sharing with? How can we care for people in a way that shows them the love of God? Because as we do that, lives will change. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the love that you have shown those of us in this room. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. That although we've rebelled from you, against you, that you sent your son to bring us back to you. God, we confess that we have tried to find our value and our meaning in so many places and come up empty so many times. And we thank you that you are the kingdom that never ends. That you are the answer, that you are the truth, that you are the love that we are looking for. We thank you for the people that you've put in our lives who shared the gospel with us. The people you've put in our lives who have cared for us and shown us the love that you have for us. And we pray that we would take that love that they've had and the love that you've given us and share that to people around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.